Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Idleman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Hello and welcome to another episode of Idleman Unplugged. This episode features Pastor Shane reading chapter 3 of his book, If My People. We hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found in one place. Chapter 3, Ignite, Revival, Dead Bones Come Alive. Again, chapter 3 of If My People. The book, uh, hoping to spark some type of revival, either corporately or privately. I want to begin with a quote from Jonathan Goforth. I believe he was a missionary in Canada. He said this, if revival is being withheld from us, it is because we still refuse to face the unchangeable truth that it is not by might, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. So true. So true. On the theme of revival, there are often two groups who get offended. Number one, those who have never experienced the fire of God and think they don't need it. And then number two, those who don't want to experience more of God because they are content with their lifestyle and how they're living. In both cases, dead bones must come alive in order to revive, uh, in order for that person to be revived and for a church to be revived and even a community to be revived. The first group is blinded by spiritual pride. Talked about this in chapter two. Uh, a critical heart always quenches the fire of the spirit. Let that be a lesson to everyone. A critical heart always quenches the fire of the spirit. Spiritually proud people don't like to talk about the work of the spirit, but they love to argue theology. Like a sinner who doesn't want to talk about sin, many Christians avoid the topic of revival and the deeper work of the spirit because they are convicted of their own spiritual lack. All right. Did you catch that? On the Pharisee side, the judgmental critical side, they're convicted by their lack of fire for God, and therefore they attack those often that are are filled with God's spirit. And then on the other side, you have the carnal, lukewarm, who don't want their lifestyle challenged as well. So, you know, if you're in that middle ground, full of the spirit, it is a hard, hard walk for you, for sure. Not only you've got the world against you, uh, the enemy against you. I mean, it's just amazing what can transpire uh, once we are filled with the Spirit in regard to spiritual warfare. So when challenged about their lack of Holy Spirit fire, uh, they often say, you know, fire is a sign of judgment. Why would I want that? While fire can be a sign of judgment for the unbeliever, fire is a mighty filling of the Spirit in a Christian. Did you know that? In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist tells his disciples that Jesus would baptize believers in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I don't know what you want to do with that, but it's pretty pretty clear to me that fire is very desirable for a believer. The fire of God, the presence of God, the consuming nature of God remove, consumes sin, consumes pride, and as this fire uh goes inside and cleanses, it also ignites, ignites a passion for God and the Holy Spirit. 
But fire is very undesirable in regard to God's judgment uh, for unbelievers. Charles Spurgeon once said, the fire in the preacher sent of God is not that of mere excitement. There's also mysterious influence resting on God's servants, which is irresistible. The Holy Ghost sent down from heaven anoints all true evangelists and the true power and fire from God. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said this, the word does not live unless the unction is upon the preacher. Preacher, with all thy getting, get unction, get fire, or get out of the pulpit. Strong statement, but very true. As a matter of historical fact, genuine revivals all bring the fire of God. Uh, and I'm hoping to pronounce this right. The Campbell saying, the Campbell saying revival of 1742 often comes to mind. And the website, The Beautiful Feet, records it perfectly. Uh, it says this, the Church of Scotland uh, was pastored by William McCall, had a passion for God, and in February 1741, he began to preach in his church <clears throat> about the importance of being born again. McCall was in communication with Jonathan Edwards in America and received news about the revival that was taking place in America. Uh, that's the first great awakening for those who are not aware. He would read the revival accounts to his congregation and the passion for God increased. On July 6, 1742, George Whitfield visited this church and preached three times on the day of his arrival. And there was a huge amount of people there. His last sermon began at nine in the evening and continued till 11. The hunger for the word of God was so strong that the pastor preached after him till past one in the morning. Even then, the people could hardly be persuaded to depart. All night in the fields, the voices of prayer and praise was being heard. Let me just stop there for a minute. Can you imagine, you know, this is not odd. I mean, it's odd to unbelievers. It's odd to maybe those who lack the fire of God, but this shouldn't be something we mock. It should be something we long for. God, visit your people again, rend the heavens and come down. And I'm going to continue here again. George Whitfield commented about this day. It far outdid all that I ever saw in America. For about an hour and a half, there were scenes of uncontrolled distress, like a field of battle. Many were being carried into the pastor's home like wounded soldiers because they were overcome with severe conviction of sin. Now, sadly, if that were to happen in many churches today, I think they would... Um, begin to mock and rebuke those churches and say, oh, that's that's false fire. Uh, that's not of God. But, you know, when sin is preached and repentance takes place and God is moving power, I mean, how is a person supposed to act when the living God touches them? I mean, you know, so again, I'm not excusing weird behavior. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for exposing weird behavior in the demonic realm. But, you know, we also have to be open to what God is doing. So be clear here. Revival is not about uh, acting weird. It's about the power of God reviving hearts, whether it's the 1802 revival at Yale University, the 1863 revival in the Confederate armies, or the famous revival on the island of Lewis in 1949, all of them centered on reviving dead hearts. So not surprisingly, the conditions prior to revival are always dark and always bleak, just like we're experiencing now. But God's people... Um, they should not feel hopeless, even though they often do. But this despair can drive us to our knees. See, that's a good thing. I feel hopeless. It's getting dark. 
I'm in despair. I'm going to press into God like never before. There you go. You have the formula for personal revival. According to the testimonies of people present at past revivals, the church is often dead and legalism and spiritual compromise are running rampant, sometimes even to the point where the greatest resistance to the move of God comes from the church. It is at this point of greatest need that God calls his remnant, his people of prayer, to a season of prayer and fasting, and revival is then born. In short, revival is often fueled by hungry seekers desperate for more of God. And again, referring to Beautiful Feet, the website, uh, they do uh, um, articles and things on revival. They also recorded the atmosphere leading up to the revival. <clears throat> leading up to the revival on the island of Lewis. And uh, they said this, Peggy and Christine Smith prayed in their cottage from 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. while the ministers and and others prayed in a barn-like structure in other locations. After several weeks of praying like that, one evening while the minister and church leaders, including both men and women, were praying in a barn, a young deacon read from Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. He said this, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who, who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor has he sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. When he closed his Bible, he looked at the minister and others and said, it seems to me uh, to be so much humbug, to be praying as we are praying and to be waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Oh, God, is my heart pure? And immediately around 3 a.m., the presence of God <clears throat> gripped every person present. It wasn't only them that sensed this, for the entire village and larger surrounding areas sensed that same awareness of God. The following day, everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. That group of intercessors left the barn at an early hour and found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had lights on and no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. Folks, that's revival. That's God sent, spirit inspired, doctrinally sound revival. And that should be uh, the, the, the heart cry of every believer desperate for more of God should be that heart cry for every believer. I also wrote a book with that same title, desperate for more of God. Uh, and it, it, it encourages this revival atmosphere in all of us. So back here to the manuscript, these stories are born out of genuine God sent revival. Sadly, many reject revival with words similar to these revivals are too emotional. People are just getting carried away. Well, Okay, that could be true in many cases. That does happen because the flesh is working. The demonic realm is, is um, you know, trying to stop what God is doing. But when you encounter God in powerful and pr- profound ways, shouldn't you be a little emotional? I don't know. You win the lottery. You have a child. You get your new job, and, and you're pretty emotional. Your favorite team wins. Uh, you're pretty emotional. So see, emotional emotions aren't bad. They just have to be sifted through the, through the, the, uh, the sift of God's word. And uh, people aren't getting carried away all the time. They're, they're pressing into God like never before. Um, so I don't think we can easily just discredit all of these powerful moves of God by saying it's just emotionalism. The problem is people are convicted. 
They're not genuinely experiencing God, and therefore they are throwing rocks at those who do. It's like that old saying, you know, you want to pull someone else down and it kind of raises you up. It's the same thing when it comes to spiritual hunger. Those who lack hunger uh, want to make fun and poke fun and, and discredit other things that God is doing. So if that were you, if, that, if I were you, I would repent and say, Lord, that's me. I've got a critical heart. I am a judgmental Jerry. I'm a critical Kathy. I beat people up with the word of God. I've got sound doctrine. I'm straight as a gun barrel theologically, but I'm just as empty. God, I repent. Give me brokenness and humility. God, I want to be full of your spirit and watch what God will do with a humble, broken spirit. A popular contemporary worship song captures the essence of one pleading with God for his refiner's fire to purify them. The worship uh, lyrics ask the question, like Moses, they want to witness God's glory and for the weight of it to bring him to his knees. And let this be our plea as well. Oh God, show me your glory. I want to, I want to experience your power and your presence. God, keep me broken and humble and pliable. Next section, is microwave Christianity still on the menu? So I basically just talked about the first group of people, uh, the, you know, the modern day Pharisee kind of, kind of person. The second group is the compromising group, the lukewarm type of, of Christian. Um, and I call them Las Vegas Christians, you know, just not much is different from the world and they, um, Maybe we'll say that they're Christians, but in their actions and their lifestyle, they really deny the power of God in their own life. And they don't want the power of God because they love the power of sin. The lukewarm church hates conviction. They say that they fear God, but they don't live like it. They indulge temptation rather than fight it. They enjoy sin rather than confront it. They have the appearance of glitter and beauty in the dark of night, but the bright light of the sun shows the dirty facade. They mock those who seek holiness and chide those who want to truly live for God. God's word is clear. The power of the spirit is always hindered hindered by a sinful lifestyle. Let me say that again. The power of the spirit is always hindered by a sinful lifestyle. And that can involve carnality and lukewarmness, but it can also involve a critical spirit, an arrogant spirit that will hinder the work of the spirit in your life like nothing else you've ever experienced. The Las Vegas Christian is only concerned with pleasure, ease, and maintaining uh, their lifestyle. Uh, they are those who sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. First Corinthians 10, 7. And I want to remind all of you that sin fascinates before it assassinates. Let me say that again. Sin fascinates before it assassinates. Whatever group you're in, the only way for dead bones to come alive is to first recognize that you are spiritually dead. Many have a form of microwave Christianity you know, a form of godliness, but they really deny the power thereof. People are bored, they say. They're bored in church. The Bible's boring, uh, but they don't realize that church is often boring because the power of God has vanished either from the church or their own personal lives. And like Samson, they know not that the spirit of the Lord has departed from them. Now, as a believer, the spirit will not depart, but you will quench and grieve the spirit and his influence, his impact will be hindered. And you can tell dead churches, they are just dead as a cemetery. And then you have other churches, you know, a lot of, um, even a lot of mega churches right now that are tickling the ear, but they're not challenging the heart. So it's exciting. 
Worship is great, but lives are not being changed at a, at a very deep level. And they will never experience revival because they're not pressing in. They're not talking about repentance and the blood of Christ, the judgment of God. Yes, grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Thank you. But don't ignore the other truths of the Bible that help balance that out. Blood of Christ, atonement, judgment, propitiation, which means Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, repentance, uh, the reality of hell. And you, ha- you have to preach all of the counsel of God in order for uh, a revival to genuinely be sparked. So once again, you can position yourself to seek God. And that promise that I talked about earlier, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That promise will be yours. You will find God if you seek. But to seek in this context means to find what is missing. It means you don't stop. You don't do a five-minute devotional a few times a day and say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. No, 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 no. This this system works. You seek until you find. You pursue until you track down. You uh, petition until God answers. The Hebrew word for seek, which I love to talk about this word, bakash, has a very strong meaning. Imagine losing your child in a crowded mall, okay? You lose your child in a crowded mall. How would you spend your time? Where would your energy be concentrated? Would you go eat lunch first? Uh, you know what? I've got to use the restroom. Let me run out to my car and get something. And No, that pursuit would be an all-consuming passion of yours. Now, parallel that with seeking God. That's what that word means. So many of us, you know, I've been guilty of this myself. I've heard people say, but Shane, I am seeking God. Nah, you're not seeking God to that degree. You're making it, you know, the seeking fit on your schedule according to your timeline, as long as you don't have to change too much in your lifestyle. That's not seeking God. When you seek something wholeheartedly, it becomes the priority of your life. Whenever God's people drifted in the Old Testament, and when they drift today, it's because they fail to give God the preeminence in their lives. Jeremiah and Deuteronomy both offer a wonderful promise. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Consider going to bed early so you can seek him early the next day. That's one step I recommend. Okay, number one. And this might not apply to everyone, obviously, but this really helped me. I mean, you're just going through the channels. I mean, years ago, I'm talking 23 years ago, I decided, why am I staying up till 11 o'clock at night? Everything the last two or three hours is unproductive in my mind. Uh, I I don't have as as good of sleep. I wake up not hungry for the things of God because I just filled my mind with junk the night before. So consider going to bed earlier, read the word of God, read books on prayer, go to bed hungry for God, get off. I definitely get off caffeine early in the day and all these things because they prevent sleep. They prevent your, your, your mind from relaxing and then get to bed early and then wake up early hungry for God and read, um, encouraging books after you read the word of God and begin to put things in your mind that will build you up spiritually instead of pull you down. To ignite personal revival, we must set our hearts back to the right position and seek God. Like a surgeon resets a bone, we must reset our relationship with the Lord. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. The opposite of ignite, and that's what we're talking about in this chapter, Again, depending on when you're listening to this, I'm reading from If My People. It's a new book. Uh, it's not a new book, but I'm putting it on audio uh, this year in 2023. And we're talking about igniting a passion for God, igniting personal revival, corporate revival. And so the opposite of ignite is to extinguish. It's to suffocate. It's to quench. And what good are we doing if we extinguish 
a fire in our heart, if we suffocate God's voice, if we dull the knife of the spirit, we must make seeking God a priority since it will never happen on its own. Folks, did you catch that? This will never happen on its own. The default position of the flesh is always to drift away from God. We have to fight daily and we have to pull uh, things out of our mind, the filth that is trying to penetrate our minds. We have to pull those things out and, and get rid of the things in the world and begin to press in uh, to God like never before. As the famous poem by an unknown author goes, this will really be relevant. Check this out. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink the smallest ship unless it gets inside. All the evil in the world, the blackest kind of sin can never hurt you in the least unless you let it in. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Next section here, the power of prioritizing. As funny as it may sound, we must make plans to seek God. Did you get that? We must make plans to seek God. We need to adjust schedules and calendars to put him first in our lives. Take a quick glance at your calendar and checkbook to see what's really important. But be warned, when we decide to seek God, it's almost as if all hell is unleashed to stop us. Something pops up in the morning. I, I had issues at night, I, the family arguments, your kids are out of control, everything to detract you and sidetrack you from seeking God. The main tool that the enemy uses is busyness, 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 busy with the cares of this life. That's why I encourage pastors to take many sabbaticals, people uh, working, take time off of work when you can, seek God, turn off your phones, spend time with your family as well, pray with them and, and get that balance back. It's so important right now, especially in the busyness of our lives. And as a result, God often takes a back seat when we're so busy and he stays there for the rest of our ride. Uh, if we don't fight to pursue him and get him back up in the front seat, back up in the driver's seat and begin to, 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 to make God our all consuming fire. Yes, it's a struggle. It's hard. We don't always feel like it. Issues come up. Uh, distractions come in. Temptation wants to take us away, but we pursue. We fall forward. We're steadfast and we discipline our body to seek God. So first commit today to begin removing things that pull you away from God. Granted, emergencies, important meetings, and urgent engagements will always happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the removing those things that we can remove and prioritizing God now. For example, most people don't need to watch so much social media. They can begin to pursue God like never before. And what you'll find is, you know, you, you'll try it like, Shane, I'm trying. Uh, this is hard. I'm trying. Oh, man, I want. Yeah, that's your flesh wanting the old man, wanting the old nature. And so there's there's withdrawals for sure. And so you've got to fight through that. You've got to get back on the right track. Um, and I mentioned, you know, I, 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 all the TV I used to watch and social media. And, you know, sometimes there's there's. Um, it's okay, you know, some, some godly entertainment and just to take your mind off things. But if it becomes our all-consuming passion and the fire of God begins to fade, then we definitely have to make readjustments. Um, as I'm speaking on this, this book, um, you know, it, it's been, as I'm recording this book and actually as I wrote the, the, the actual book I wrote in here as well, that um, it's been months since I actually watched anything on television. And the reason is so that I spend time pursuing God via reading and praying. But again, granted, sometimes I watch things with my kids and, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here, but you know, you know what I'm saying? If you're convicted, something is taking you away from God. It's not productive. Instagram searches, TikTok searches, 
Twitter feeds. I mean, a lot of this stuff is not very productive. You know, find out what you need to find out, post what you need to post, and then begin to bring structure, you know, back into your life. Every few months, someone says, I can't believe that you get so much done. Okay. People say that to me a lot. And I'm not special. I'm just doing what I believe is the best appropriation for my time. So writing these books, actually recording this audio. I got up this early this morning, got some time with God, came into the studio, recorded this audio. Now I've got the you know, the rest of the day ahead of me recorded this chapter. Um, and so it's not that I get so much done. And those who are productive, you know what I'm talking about. The key, it is for all of us, is you prioritize your life. You remove things that zap your time and steal your energy and that are not productive. Some of you need to cut out relationships. Some of you need to cut out the way you spend your time. Some of you need to turn, something has been very beneficial for me is to turn my phone off at a certain time and not look at it for a while and, and not always be on it and have that day off. Uh, for most pastors and things, it can be a Monday off and it's a, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, and so by reading good books or praying before bed, you're going to wake up hungry for more of God versus being hungry for the world. Whatever you feed your mind becomes a dominating influence in your life. Although, although this may not apply to everyone, one of the best decisions I ever made, okay, I just see the word here. We're going to get a little convicting right now. <laughs> Although this might not apply to everyone, one of the best decisions I've made, and I should say probably severely limited, um, was to severely limit and even at times give up my coffee addiction. Okay. Here's, and I'm just, I'm just, this is just a practical example for me. This might not relate to everyone. It uh, hindered my time with God. It, it took away that time with God because I'd sit down and for me, I'm jittery. I've got our things in my mind, anxious, irritable, and for seeking God, yeah, that doesn't work really well. Um, and I know it's a, it's a drug. Uh, so I had to have this drug before I got into the word of God. And this drug would make me want to read through the word of God quicker. I can't really absorb what I'm reading. I got things to do. Uh, if something goes, goes on or my kids get up early, I'm irritable. And it just, for me, it wasn't good. It was a really good thing, or at least minimize it, you know, um, minimize it to something very minimal to where it's not really affecting you at all. And it's not affecting your attitude. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to just be, um, you know, focused on God and it, it got me sidetracked. It was like my mind was, was, you know, on a powerful stimulant. And so, uh, it took some hard work, but by God's grace, eventually broke free of that. And as a result, um, there's a lot less anxiety, a lot less irritability, a lot less anger. And as you're pursuing God, as you're seeking God, you need that quietness, that stillness. And that was counterproductive. Um, and so that's just one little thing I've done, did another big thing that will help too. I don't think it's a little thing. I think that the caffeine thing is a big thing. Uh, now, green tea, it's funny. Green tea, people ask, has a different, the way it's, the caffeine is released into your body, it has more of a uh, um, a relaxed approach where the caffeine is directly into your blood system and directly into the the the, the getting the the, uh, the 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 central nervous nervous simulate the central nervous system stimulated. There we go. That was a little tough. And so that's why there's a difference. And green tea has a lot less caffeine. So I would I would opt for that if you can. Um, secondly, make a prayer list 
and go to war when you have the most energy, okay? That's the key. Make a prayer list and go to war when you have the most energy. I have prayers written on a dry erase board as well as index cards. And as I pray, I also read the Bible. I'm able to give God the freshest part of my day, the early hours of the morning. And during this time, countless sermons, most of the sermons you guys hear um, have been birthed in, in, in the morning time with God. And God poured wisdom, God pours wisdom into our hearts during these times that we set aside for him. And this is also the time when you prepare for spiritual warfare. You don't prepare for spiritual warfare in the midst of the warfare. By then you are a sitting duck. What you do is you prepare beforehand. This time with God prepares you for the storms ahead. So as you can see, this is, this is so important uh, to get our lives uh, on the right track and prioritize, prioritize God. And if you're a night person, you know, that's fine too. Whatever the time that works best for you, give God your best hours. But again, expect demonic opposition who's going to try to sidetrack you with busyness. And I'm often reminded of Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When you see God wholeheartedly, demons cannot defeat you. Haters cannot silence you and people cannot break you. Money cannot buy you and trials cannot stop you. Fear cannot control you and the devil cannot seduce you. The government cannot overthrow you and addiction cannot hold you down. There's no greater feeling than reaping the benefits of seeking God. And as Vince Lombardi said, famous football coach, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. If he can say that about football, how much more when we lie victorious on the field of spiritual battle, having defeated the enemy? Thirdly, to properly seek God with all your heart, we must remove hindrances such as besetting sin. Idolatry, uh, which is, um, you know, you can shape your idolatry in sports, entertainment, success, lust, and all of those things, it damages the seeking heart. Idolatry is putting anything before God. I must seek this before God. That will side uh, track you every opportunity it gets. Idolatry will because it is seductive. Uh, and I'm assuming the reader understands that I'm not saying one can't enjoy a sporting event or a concert or, you know, entertainment. I mean, it, healthy entertainment is good for us. But I'm referring to a lifestyle that puts God on the back burner so other interests can other interests can be pursued. You need to repent of that today. David Wilkerson once said, it is impossible to maintain the joy of the Lord if sin is present in one's life. We must increasingly separate ourselves from the world around us. How can the Holy Spirit pour joy into his people and can, as we continue to indulge in adultery, addictions, materialism, you know, pornography, living like those who do not follow Christ? How can we experience the joy and power of the Spirit? We can't. Hello? So anyway, let me give you a uh, just a real brief conclusion. I want you to be encouraged. God may sometimes feel far away, but that's the time to press in even more. This pressing strength builds faith and it builds muscle. Um, I'm sorry. Let me repeat that. 
This pressing into God will strengthen your faith. It will build spiritual muscle. It will deepen your resolve to seek God with all of your heart, with all of your strength. It's been said, pray the hardest when the when it's the hardest to pray. Let me say that again. It's so true. Pray the hardest when it is the hardest to pray. Your feelings are the caboose of the train, not the engine. They shouldn't lead, but they should at least follow. It's easy to seek God when you feel like it, but it's crucial to seek him even when you don't. Okay. Let me, let me unpack that again. Your feelings are the caboose of the train. Okay. They're not the engine. They, they, they followed making the right choice. They follow discipline, perseverance, godliness, even when you don't feel like it. So you don't go by your emotions. You go by what is right. And it's easy to seek God when we feel like it. Hello. But it's crucial to seek him even when you don't. That's what's really going to tip the scale uh, into your favor. And that's why uh, faith plays a huge role in pursuing God. Again, faith plays a huge role in pursuing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you see, you faithing, faithing, I was going to say, trusting, having faith in God. It, 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 that's really the difference maker. And you just pray, God, I want the fullness of the Spirit. I want to be full of Your Spirit, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to experience You. And God will honor that prayer if you honor that commitment. And I do want to put in a quick sidebar here. It's not in the book. A lot of this stuff is not in the actual book. But, you know, we can get so focused on, you know, works and discipline and commitment and perseverance and, and it becomes, it can become burdensome. You become overburdened with constantly measuring up, constantly doing this. And, you know, that that's not necessarily biblical because we're also supposed to rest in God's sovereignty, to trust in him, to have joy unspeakable, to have this passionate relationship with him. And then out of that flows obedience. So if you make obedience your God, you will be miserable. Make God your God, love him, fall forward, understand his grace and love and mercy. And then out of that, I want to obey him. That's when everything comes together and it feels very wonderful because the Holy Spirit is giving you the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, consent, contentment, long suffering, gentleness, um, all those different things. So now that we've looked at the vital importance of humility, prayer, and placing God in the center of our life, right? The first three chapters, this last ingredient found in second Chronicles seven fourteen is how we view sin. So in the next chapter, we're going to lay, take a very important look at repentance. So make sure you read or listen to chapter four and if my people, and again, that's a good recap. You know, we've, we've humbled ourselves. Uh, now we embrace a life of prayer and now we're placing God first in our lives. If my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, not my hand, not what I can give them. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will uh, forgive their sin. And so um, anyway, that hopefully will get you to the next chapter. Um, you can read that at your convenience or uh, uh, scroll to it um, and that will uh, get you there. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Thank you for listening to us today. 
and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Eidelman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidelman.com. Again, that's shaneidelman.com. Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality in Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these ebooks are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.